Welcome to Uncanonical, the kinship podcast. When something is canonical or accepted as canon, it refers to any inspired writings accepted as Holy Scripture. This is not that. This is stories of faith, stories of loss, and biblical stories told with many liberties taken. My name is Jacqueline, and today I get to sit down with my good friend and coworker, Jason. Hi, Jason. Hello. Thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. The only intro we have is that we work together, um, but who are you as a person? First of all, I'd like to thank you for having me. It's awesome. We've been trying to set this up for quite some time a now. A while, yeah. Uh, so it's awesome. It's finally happening. Uh, my name is Jason Guyot. Uh, I'm kind of in the realm of health. I'm a huge fan of the human body, uh, all things muscles, everything. Uh, it's been great getting to dive into this level of things of coworkers are awesome, hence why I've been doing this with Jacqueline today. <laughs> I'm also uh, literally called a foot nerd with a company called The Foot Collective based out in Toronto, uh, kind of natural foot health things. My short spiel on it is if there's muscles in our arm, how do we get bigger biceps? We work out our arms to get bigger biceps. We do bicep curls. How do you get your feet more healthy? You need to get out of shoes and use the muscles in your foot. We have four layers of uh, muscles in the feet, uh, 26 bones, so 33 joints. Uh, it's meant to move sort of a thing. Um, there's actually a recent study of oh, the funky shoes I wear at work, known as like minimal shoes or natural footwear. A recent study just came out of if you just are barefoot more or wear these shoes, um, in about six months, your foot strength increases by 60% wearing these shoes. So just, sorry, so tangent. I, I always make this joke at work. I never shut up once I start talking about feet. <laughs> so. You know what? I love it. That's I love um, who I am as a person is like a very passionate about anything person. Like you get me talking about musicals, you get me talking whatever. And so I don't care that it's feet. Like if you're like, this is like, I'm just passionate about this like health topic. Great. That's like, I feel like passion is very inspiring to other people. So whatever that is that you're passionate about, that's dope. If it gets you going. Yeah, exactly. If you can express it in a way that's engaging for others. People are willing to listen to it. There's a market for anything. <laughs> yeah, including foot nerds. <laughs> um, okay, but you're on a faith podcast, not a health podcast, which is a little bit of a side bar from the things that you're normally really passionate about. Um, walk us through a little bit about your faith journey, because honestly, we have been friends for a little while now, but because we're friends at work, there's not always time for really great conversations about this. Even I'm curious how you've journeyed with faith over your life, what like pros or cons you've had around the idea of faith and where you're at now. Well, first of all, I think I might have to disagree with you there. Who says I'm not on a health podcast? You can kind of relate the two, I'd want to say, is um, some people will be, like mental health especially is um, important today, how faith can lead to health and being happier sort of thing. So who knows? That being said, uh, a little bit of a hypocrite possibly, I do mainly consider, or I have considered myself an atheist. Uh, I've never delved too, too deep. As a kid, I've gone to church a few times embarrassingly so the only thing i remember is the free bagels with cream cheese <gasps> that i also put jam on so it was like bagels cream cheese and jam best breakfast i ever had as a kid uh, Where? I don't know what, what church were you i want to go to that <laughs> church i want free bagels that sounds awesome it was amazing so like i said remember nothing of the church aspect for some reason i remember the food classic classic so uh, anyway i've gone i've attended a few times uh, other than that i wasn't necessarily for me uh, nothing really clicked at the time it was just sort of what I do love about the aspect of church is the community aspect. 
and having those people no matter what point you are in your life and where you are you can go there every week and those people have your back and you're able to talk with them and etc so i did enjoy that aspect little did i know at the time being in school you had that aspect otherwhere so as you grow up i can kind of see the appeal more so being as an adult maybe coming for that as a kid, I had school and other friends. I didn't know the people at the church as well. So at that time, uh, it was just not for me. Uh, growing up now, fast forward a little bit, I do, I'm on a cheesy journey I call a journey to becoming a better human being. And whatever aspect that is, have it be um, food, uh, mind, feet, uh, feet anything. <laughs> just trying to be 1% better every day. Uh, no matter where that comes from, uh, reaching out to someone you haven't talked to in a while, hopefully making their day, uh, researching something, doing something for yourself, anything to just become better. And for me, part of that journey has been delving into a few more religions. Uh, not as much Christianity per se. That's just why uh, that conversation I had with you at work one time, I pulled you aside when I kind of first heard about you getting into your podcast. And I was just starting to make YouTube videos at the time. And I look up to you as a videographer. You're absolutely amazing at what you do. So it's just like, if I can kind of find mentorship in this, and if we can, like, it's like, I think we could help each other out. I think it'd be awesome. I'm looking into learning more about this. So everything just kind of fell into place at that time. Uh, I think that pretty much leads to this moment. Yeah, that's great. That's, yeah. And uh, you know what, that your journey with church and the faith like sounds very typical, I think. Like, I think that's actually pretty common. Like a lot of people sort of have some sort of dip in their toes, especially I guess in North America, that's a very common religion. So you probably have someone in your circles or adjacent to your circles who's like a person of faith. And so one of my friends and I too, she's totally, I think she would maybe say agnostic, maybe atheist. And she was even saying the other day, like, was just drove past my old church and was texting me about it and like reminiscing on when I like brought her for my baptism or whatever the case may be. So um, yeah, that's a pretty typical um, experience, I think. And I love what you said about community because I literally have like an entire tattoo that's like dedicated to the importance of community in the faith. And so it, it's totally valid of you to say that you didn't feel like that was something you needed as a kid. And I think it's so beautiful that you have that in your life now too. But I definitely know that some people don't find that community elsewhere. And I think there's, yeah, obviously a lot of value to the type of community it brings. I think that's the thing about Christianity, though, is you don't need to be religious to go. If some people do realize I have nowhere else to go, I don't have anyone else to talk to, there are stories of some people walking into churches on Sunday, not being religious still, and they still accept them with open arms, and that's something special. So Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, so um, the podcast, though, is about telling the not canonical version of stories of faith. So hit me with a question. Jason, what do you got for do me? Do you hear the nervousness in her voice? Uh, <laughs> so, okay. Again, I guess I should mention first uh, the, how I mentioned not so much getting to Christianity is I like taking things a little bit from every aspect. So mm -hmm. I was looking into Buddhism for a while, Taoism, things like that, which I think we'll talk about a little bit more later. Uh, which kind of leads into my first question a little bit is there's always like that saying uh, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole and things is pretty common. So like if you're in uh, like maybe more so World War One, World War Two, uh, if you're in a foxhole, if you peek your head up, you could literally like pass at any moment. Like things were unpredictable. It was horrible times. You're praying to God at that moment, whether you're an atheist or not. Uh, w would you say I mean, you're maybe a little biased, but would you say that you're praying to a certain God in that? Oh, so the question is if someone in a, who's not typically a person of faith in like a moment of terror or whatever cries out to God, period. Yeah. Do I think that they're praying to a specific God? Exactly. Hmm. 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> obviously I am definitely biased, so that's like a fair assessment to start that question off with. Because I'm coming from a faith background, it would be untrue of me to say that I, you know, don't think that there's just like one true God. Like obviously that is the kind of one of the main tenets of the faith that I have is that we believe that there is like one, the God that we pray to is the God. But also I think it's naive to say that Christianity as the institution that it is now, the faith that it is now has like the corner market on truth and on spirituality. So while I might rail against, I get to pick and choose and whatever I want and make my own, you know, spirituality. I was even recently having a conversation with someone where there was, you know, a very spiritual artist and she was saying that like, you know, her experience with God, Christianity is the closest explanation to her experience with God, but even that's a bit of a shadow of the faith that she has and the experience that she has with God. And so I think because humans are involved in the conveying of this faith and the acting it out of this faith, it would be unfair to say that it's a perfect representation. And I think if you're talking about someone from North America, like, you know, just your average Caucasian, European descent, North American person, chances are their experience with faith, with maybe going to a church every now and again, was probably with a Western religion faith. So probably was a Christian, Catholic, Protestant type, maybe a Jewish, maybe, a, you know, but those Western faiths are some of the most prominent for that culture as well. So if you were one of those people in that foxhole, chances are that's also where your mind would be going. Like the image that you have of God might've been influenced by that. Also because that language is typically like, if you're praying to God, God save me, very individualistic language that kind of rules out the Eastern religions because they're not individualistic in their beliefs on God. You know, they believe that everything is spiritually connected or there's multitudes of gods. So I think it definitely does sort of depend on how you're, if you're like praying to the gods for your safety, then yeah, maybe a little bit different. Maybe you don't mean the God of the Judeo-Christian background, but if you're sitting there like, Lord God, like, please like save me in this moment, that language in and of itself really does fit the Judeo-Christian God view, the very like monotheistic God view. And so probably, I guess my answer is probably. I think if that's what you're praying to and praying in your moments of trial and moments of stress and crying out to a power greater than you because you're at your wits end, probably. You know what, that was a, I feel like a long-winded answer that took a lot of analyzing and I was trying to analyze that kind of as you're talking, but it was, I think, the perfect answer because what's interesting about it is everyone's different. Everyone's prayers are different and no matter what you need at that time, everyone's needs are going to be different. Everyone's thought of God is going to be different. Everyone's envisionment. So it is very ideal, or sorry, like individual. And so it is going to differ from there and there. So uh, interesting. I really like that. Yeah. I think there's one true God but also I don't know who you're trying to pray to right. <laughs> in that moment, so. Uh, one important thing I wanted to kind of ask is, because I, I remember I've had this conversation with you and kind of other Christians before. Basically, do you ever feel like you should be giving yourself credit for something instead of God? So kind of like, for example, there are some of those scenarios where um, some people have overcome things uh, themselves as opposed to being blessed by the grace of God, more or less. Uh, I feel like you should take pride in that uh, and pride and joy yourself as for those certain accomplishments. Like, I, I think you kind of understand what I'm saying. Like, there, there's some degree where it's like, oh, like, I thank God for this promotion, let's say. You worked hard for this promotion, but, um, like, I mean, did God tell you to maybe work hard enough for that promotion? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. 
I love this question so much um, because I've thought about this one a ton because you're not the first person to say that to me without being like the least humble person on the planet. Like I'm in a pretty good spot in my life. Like I, you know, have a really stable job that is going very well. Um, lots of really great friends. So I'm all that is to say, like, I'm really grateful for the position I'm in. And I have had people, you know, after getting good grades or a promotion or a great job, where I'm like, oh, thank, thank the Lord for this thing that I have. And they're like, well, thank you. You did it. Why are you, what do you mean you're thinking? And I, I think that if you trace any of those things back, then I don't get credit. But you have to, you have to follow it. So th I think there's moments where you can be proud of something that you've done. And I think that like God is proud of the moments when we have said yes to what he called us to or made a really good decision. But let's take that promotion example and use it because it's perfect. Um, why did I get a good job? Well, I had like a decent resume and I'm a personable person. So I come off well in an interview. I like my current job I got actually because my brother was involved in an organization and then kind of just like jokingly threw my hat in the pot for me. And so if you trace all those elements back, why did I get good grades when I was in school? Well, because God gave me a brain that can math and that can English and that can focus. Like I am pretty neurotypical, so school wasn't hard for me in the culture we're in. And that's something that I can't take credit for. Did I work hard? Sure, but do I have a personality type that allows me to work hard and doesn't like throw walls up when my brain tries to work hard or study things? I have a great memory, so I was able to memorize stuff for tests. Like I fit into that culture really well. Why am I personable in interviews? Personality, half nature, half nurture, neither of those do I really get credit for. I didn't decide my personality at birth. I believe that the Lord created who I am as a person. Um, my brother having the connections to get me, well, <laughs> two of my major, like my longest term jobs were both from my brother. Mm. Um, <laughs> funny stories, but not related to this particularly. And what was that? Did I decide where he would go? No, it was actually like a connection my mom had through a Christian organization that we even heard about the organization my brother was connected. And so it was like, again, like a 17 removed step process for my brother to end up there, for me to end up there. And I didn't have control over that. Did I randomly Google receptionist jobs at this place or like in general and found this place? Yes. But did I have anything to do with that? No. Okay, well now a promotion. Have I been working hard? Sure, yeah, of course I worked hard. Same credit though. Where's that personality come from? Okay, that comes from the Lord. Where does my favor with these individuals come from? That's also kind of out of my control to a certain degree is how people perceive me. Like I can only do so much. And I believe that the favor I've received from some individuals has been in large part due to Christ in my life, whether that's his love and care for people shining through me and then people see that and they misattribute that to Jacqueline being a really genuine, caring person when really like, I wouldn't be that genuine and caring and loving if God hadn't done amazing things in my heart to heal my past wounds, to show me what love looks like that I can then give to other people. And then like, it's funny you mentioned promotion. I recently got a promotion at work and I didn't have to fight for it. It was handed to me. Someone said, we see the value in you being here. We need you to be in a position of authority. Here, take her. I was ready to fight for it. And I didn't have to, it was like, here, take this promotion. Sure, you know what? You could argue that like, oh, you worked hard, you did whatever. But if you trace all of it back to me, my personality, who I am, the opportunities provided to me, I didn't do any of that per on my own, you know? And so, yeah, there's definitely moments where I like wanted to like quit and go work somewhere else or I wanted to do something else. And God was like, hey, no, stay. And I chose to listen to him. I'll take credit for being obedient 
in the moments where I didn't want to be and give myself some credit to that because that was a choice and I stuck with it, that's about as far as I let the credit go. Oh, I love that ending. That was a perfect way to wrap that up. Uh, really interesting stuff. And I like how you use like the words humble almost. And like, and your story is very different than other people's. But still, if you choose to listen to God, things are pretty good for you. But someone maybe could live on the street. Someone could be this and then still be thankful for those little things uh, that God's like, yeah, I still have a brain that I, I can still eat with my own two hands. I still have feet to walk on. So yeah, it can get way under the uh, under par there, I want to say compared to uh, other people like you or I who are awesomely privileged and uh, uh, sometimes just un as bad as it sounds get things handed to us sometimes but uh, it all relies on your way of looking at it yeah and yeah definitely gonna like check my white privilege at the door here like for sure same. that plays Hang a part it in it yeah that's 100% but it's true like I had a, the same friend who was like questioning me like well don't you like you did that you take the credit is the same friend who, when bad things happen in my life, or if I'm heading into something and I don't know if it's going to go good or bad, she kind of looks at me every time and is like, so if things go well, are you going to thank God for that? Because it was him who did it. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, and if things go bad, you're still going to thank God. for And I'm like, yeah, because I believe that he's got it in control. And whatever happens is the thing that's supposed to happen. And she's just like, oh, I can't win with you. And I'm like, nope, you can't. I'm sorry. Like, she's like, you're in a freaking cult. Like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, I'm sorry that that mindset really bothers you. But there is so much truth to that because you mm -hmm. can find gratitude for whatever you do have in, in whatever those circumstances are, challenging or otherwise. I'm just grateful that mine haven't been too challenging right. up to this point. This next one's kind of a doozy. Uh, it's a quick question. Might take some thinking. Uh, one interesting concept I was thinking of is how, because uh, the Bible's old, and uh, I don't even know when it would have came come about, but how would you say, or if you have a specific one, uh, how do biblical texts apply to modern society, would you say? Is there maybe a certain passage or anything that you like applying to your life today? Mm -hmm. The question is, how do biblical passages apply to today, slash do they apply to today? Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a phenomenal question, and I guess not something that I think about outside of my own bubble, because like in my bubble, there's it's obvious what the answer to this is, but it's so fair of you to ask to that. To someone like myself. Totally. <laughs> um, yes, biblical texts, very old, 100%. Do they apply to today? Oh my gosh, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. And so the, the Jesus-y answer is that Christians believe that the Bible is the living word of God. So while the texts and what is canon, as in holy accepted as scripture, <laughs> throw, to, throw to the title, is, is old and hasn't changed in many, many, many years, the principles and concepts that are in the Bible were written at a specific time for a specific people group. But as long as you read them with the understanding of what they were trying to say to that people group, the principles are timeless the lessons they were trying to teach the people at that time, the criticisms, the instruction, the whatever, that is 100% timeless. That does not change. So there's a book in the Bible example, uh, for example, in the Old Testament, it's called the book of Proverbs. And it's literally just like proverbial sayings, like Proverbs for living your life. Like people have taken quotes from the book of Proverbs put them on motivational posters and just removed the attribution. Like you can find like in Walmart, like quotes directly pulled from the Bible from that are just instructional for living life and about how to be a person that's loving and caring. And that 
I don't think that's really changed in 2,000 years. And the New Testament is newer writings about Jesus's life. And I think knowing the life of Jesus is always relevant for us because as Christians, like Christian just means like little Christ. And so our goal is to look as much like Christ as you can. So learning how he lived, the rhythms of his life, the way that he spoke to people, the way that he loved people, the way, you know, all of those things, that's always helpful as like a mentor, right? Like if you find a person you're looking up to, it's kind of like Christians all just look up to this one individual for the best way to live life. And so no matter how much time passes, the way that he conducted himself, the way that he treated people, the way that he lived his life is always relevant. And a lot of the trials that after that, the next part of the Bible is kind of like helping the early church be better people and be better at, at being the church. And same thing, a lot of their trials were specific, like, oh, there's like sexual immorality going around or there's, oh, this thing, or there's gossip or there's whatever. But like human flaws are human flaws are human flaws. And so in those scriptures, when they're like, okay, like love this person, respect this individual, take care of your orphans and widows, like people are still people, orphans and widows still exist. So all of the principles of how to take care of people, love people and treat people haven't changed. 100% still applicable. That's perfect because I've been super into quotes these days and the same thing. If you hear what you need to hear, somehow at the right time you need to hear it, it just again keeps you going and just something about it, it might help other people, exactly the same thing. And that's the other thing that I didn't touch on, which is the, the part where I said it's living and active, is because we also believe that there's like a spiritual component to reading the scripture. So you're not reading it in a vacuum, like you're reading it in your life, you're reading it in your circumstances. So Connection. Yeah, you could read a passage and it could mean something very impactful for you one day. And a month later, you could read the same passage and it would mean something completely different because it's living. Like we believe that God speaks to our spirits and our hearts through the writing. So the writings don't change, but your circumstances change. And so the way that you hear that, the way that it hits you and impacts you and the way that the Lord can use that to encourage you or guide you in your life, that can be whatever you need it, like whatever it needs to be at the time. That's the most true thing I've ever heard. Like you, that's so, uh, so I have a book that I will write some of my favorite quotes and uh, some of my favorite passage from books and things as well. And if I ever go back in that book and kind of like, okay, this old book that I've read, uh, interesting, okay, why did I write this down again? This means nothing to me. <laughs> yeah. it's like, but at the time, obviously it, so it hit home so well that it's like, wow, this is perfect for my, this time and place. That's the most human thing I've ever heard. Yep. If you're more robotic and things, it's just words on a page, it will not matter. But if, it, if you hear it when you were supposed to hear it, it's just it's magical, so. Yeah, 100%. One other one I was thinking, uh, so, I feel like this is obviously you have no really reason to be looking into other religions. So I'm not sure how well you'd know on other aspects, but I'm kind of curious what makes Christianity different from other religions. So like, again, I know so little about it, kind of like the, along the virgin birth, maybe certain morals or ethics of um, Christianity compared to other things. Uh, I know some will be very similar compared to it, but would you say there's anything that makes uh, Christianity unique in a sense? Yeah, that is a great question. And I 100% acknowledge that I don't have um, as much knowledge of other faiths as I should. I've done some research, like I went to a Bible college and we learned about other religions through the lens of Christianity, unfortunately, at the time, which I mean was somewhat objective, somewhat subjective. And then I, when I spent some time at Mount Royal University, I took a nature of religions class and got like a very broad 
fairly neutral. I think the instructor did a pretty decent job. She made a couple snides at Christianity, but like not many, um, and otherwise gave a pretty objective overview of a lot of them. Like basically the top five, like the two main Eastern religions and the three main Western religions. So I wouldn't say too many of the morals are different. Honestly, a lot of faiths really do point to the same ways of living and caring for people. So I actually wouldn't say there's a ton of diversity there, which is why I have so much respect for people of other faiths, because like there's so much I can learn. Like people in the Islam faith are regimented to like pray five times a day because they believe that you can so quickly throughout your day get thrown off from living the way that God's called you to that you need at least five moments in your day to check in. And I think I'm like, oh, wow, that's what a lesson for Christians. Like we don't we should do that and we don't. But I think the number one thing in all of the studies and all the conversations I've had that would really make Christian faith different than other faiths is that most gods in other faiths are a like removed deity. They're like a god out there that wants things from you and requires things from you and tells you what to do and you try and do things for them. Whereas Christian faith is so relational. Like our God is not distant. He's not some other, like he is deeply entrenched in what's happening in our lives and deeply cares about the things that happen on a day-to-day -day basis and desires so greatly to just be a part of our experience and to be in conversation with us and just to love and care and be there. And so I don't know that too many other religions have that level of intimacy with the deity in their faith as opposed to Christianity where it's very much like God just cares about your heart. He just wants you to know that he loves you and that he's proud of you and that he just wants to be with you. And that's so beautiful. And I'm just not really sure that other religions have that going for them in the same way. And uh, totally, I wouldn't have no idea as well. And I haven't looked too deep into other aspects like that. But that, again, that personal level, and that personal level might be there with other things, it's possible. But you're right, it is more so like, I mean, uh, when I'm looking into Buddhism, I'm kind of along the lines more of it is a way of life rather than a religion sort sure. of a thing. And I, I think you can probably apply that to some degree too. Like, again, I'm not sure if people do pray to Buddha. I think, I may, again, so I haven't looked too, too much into it. So whether they do or not, uh, people do pray to God. It is very personal. It's between you and him. And yeah, that personal connection will help you open up in a sense too. And uh, just being one-on-one -on -one almost in a degree and yet sharing it with other people too, but which all can be special, both aspects. Yeah, and that community that you were talking about earlier is fostered by each individual and community is directly connecting with God and, and listening to him and, and being filled by him and his love in their life. And then bringing that into community and like sharing that as in like, you know, trying to love other people with the same like robustness that, you know, he loves us and 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 talking about that and developing and learning more about that and, and like sitting in that space. So, yeah, it, it, it also influences like the community and the way that the faith itself kind of plays out. Absolutely. Would you say something has to change in your life? before starting to follow religion. I think you were quite young kind of getting into it. I'm not sure if you want your parents were possibly into it. Or would you say it almost happens in reverse more often? Because one thing I know a lot of times people say, a, a very common one in movies in real life is someone you love is on their deathbed and they pull through. 
uh, thanks maybe by science, thanks by God and things, but again, what happened right before that happened, they prayed to God that this person would pull through, and they did. And from that point forward, they go on believing in God. Would it happen in reverse, or what kind of once you find faith, is it kind of there, what would you more so say? Or would something happen where it's like, oh, when I needed God most, he wasn't there, and people can fall out of faith? It was, I don't know, some interesting tangent I was thinking about. Yeah, let me try and break that up into the two separate topics because those are that's those are two very important but yeah different things i would say yes based on your first phrasing it typically happens in reverse where you don't need to change to have faith you don't need to have certain behaviors have certain actions be a certain person to have faith typically people come into faith with god god does some sort of transforming work in their lives whether that's yeah healing a loved one or just like revealing his love for them or showing up in a big way or whatever the case may be and then you change and then because you have this deep sense of knowing and understanding and love in your life and there's healing to the pain and trauma that you've been fighting through or there whatever like the now you're in this really deep community like the list is literally endless of things that you know, faith can positively impact and change in your life. And I think that typically elicits potentially a change in lifestyle. And it really depends where you're at before that. So for some people, the outward lifestyle might not look very different before or after faith. It should, but if you were like a pretty upstanding, pretty moral, pretty like chill, you know, and then God did an amazing work in your life, do you hope that people will see something different and you look more loving and you, yes, absolutely. But it's definitely more noticeable in like, you know, people who were living really destructive lives or really destructive behaviors or were super victimized by people in their space and then they come into faith and they don't have to live that way anymore, right? Like their life is whole as opposed to broken and disjointed and hopeless. And so that hope especially, I think, I mean, hope, regardless of the way you find it, regardless of faith, is such a powerful construct. And honestly, I think that hope is more important than food and water in people's lives. And that's what faith really brings is hope, hope for a future, hope for a better life, hope for whether that's future here on earth or future in like the future, future, like we believe in heaven sort of sense. And so I think when you have that level of deep hope in your life, yeah, things will look very different, but usually that's the order I think it happens in. And yeah, unfortunately it does happen in reverse. I have personal friends who have gone through things and they grew up in the faith, which I also grew up in the faith, which is why I don't know if I had, I've had individual moments in my life that were very transformative where God intervened, but there wasn't like a lifestyle I was living where suddenly at six years old, my lifestyle changed a great deal. But there are, you know, even personal friends of mine who have been raised in the faith, living out their faith and either the church hurt them or, I mean, usually individuals within the church hurt them or really bad things happened or the people that they looked up to in the faith suddenly weren't representing that faith well. And so their whole idea of what that faith should look like shattered. And so unfortunately, yeah, absolutely. People have life experiences or hurts or things where the reverse happens, where they have enough experiences to go, you know what, I don't think, I don't think faith is where I'm at anymore. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's for me. Well, you know what would be interesting, too, is if they jump to a different religion or if it's into atheism. So that would be interesting to maybe get some statistics on or something or hear some people's stories of that because, yeah, who knows how 180 some people's lives can really get. My closest friend examples just jumped into, like, atheism. 
from Christianity, but I do know a couple of examples where they were like, I don't think Christianity is for me, and they started sort of like you, like researching Buddhism or what maybe they still believe that there is a spiritual component to life and they right. can't let that go. But if they don't think it's Jesus, they don't think it's God, what else could it be? And then they start looking into other faiths for sure. Huh. Yeah, uh, I, I have a little tangent I wanted to go on. When I was reading a book, uh, it's by David Goggins, David, David Goggins' um, main book. He mentions in that book how, I forget if he was religious to start with, but he was saying how he visualizes these things. And I'm a visual guy, so it really kind of resonated with me. He says in the book, uh, roughly along the lines of, he, when he visualized that when he dies, it would, uh, you go to heaven. And there's a long line when you kind of are, what you're waiting in line to get into heaven. And he believes God's interviewing all of us. When we die, God has a chair, he's sitting there, he has a big piece of paper with everyone's name on it. And when he keeps going down and checking people off as people go by. When you get in the chair, you see your name on the list. And he had his name and he had all the things uh, listed on this paper that you would run a marathon, you would do all these crazy things. Uh, I think he broke a pull-up record and things as well. He had all these things he was doing and uh, because David changed, he was like uh, pretty uh, obese at the time and he wasn't really happy with his life, what he was working with in those things. And when he kind of got up to the thing, his piece of paper, he was like, you have the wrong piece of paper. I, I didn't run this marathon. I didn't do all these ultras. I didn't do a pull up. Like, what do you mean? And it was kind of more so like, oh, these are the things that you could have done in life, but you didn't. So it was just kind of like uh, helps put things in respect and perspective almost. So ultimately where it led to is David wanted to blow God away. So he, he, he was kind of like, I want God to keep adding things when he thought life was over. Oh, these pull-up records, these ultra marathons and things. Oh, wait, oh, he's doing more? Okay, let me add this to his list. Let me do, like, he wants to surprise God when he gets there of things that you're capable of in life. And again, that's just kind of, a lot of people find inspiration from him and he's very, uh, he's an interesting character of all those videos on the online and things. But again, I think a lot of people can take just, again, with a grain of salt, things like this to help improve things in their life is interesting. Yeah, totally. It's such an, a funny image, um, and I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that that for sure won't be the way that it goes. I mean, I, I'm not so brazen as to say that I understand like what the book of life in heaven, you know, would look like, and I I love that, and also definitely would take a grain of salt with it because I absolutely think that that is sort of a lot of the reason why there's positive change in people's life if and when they come into faith is because you in the Christian faith especially are not obligated to do anything like God's not sitting here like you absolutely have to do this do this do this like it's not a striving thing True. so my grain of salt would be if you're striving in life because you feel like you need to prove things to God that's unhealthy. That's true. If you look at a different angle, it is very judgmental, doesn't it sound? That's totally not the case. Again, he takes things a little out of context. He likes going over the top when you read his book and things, and you get that impression. So it's very true. Grain of salt. But the thing that's so valuable about that is often the reason there's change in people's lives is because they're like, wow, God has done so much for me. Like he sent his son to die on the cross. He wiped all my sins, you know? And so then you're like, I want so badly to love well, to live a life that is like, you know, that he can be proud of that, I, you know, and that response of like, I just want to blow God out of the water. Like, and in his case, maybe that was just like, you know, maybe it was pride. Maybe it was whatever. I don't know David's story, but you know, from a faith perspective of like, God has blessed me so much, which harkens back to our earlier 
question, you know, like I feel like all the things I have are God's blessing on my life. When someone gives you a gift, like it's the theory of reciprocity, you know, when someone gives you a gift, you feel social pressure to give something back. Like when you realize how blessed you are by what God has given you, it feels like the only natural response is to be like, what can I give you back? Like, what can I do in return? And so I do think that there is, yeah, some value to that. Like, okay, God gave me this life and the ability to do these amazing things. What else can I do with yes. that? And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I love that. So w one takeaway I would like from this podcast is I'm interested in how Christianity can be a way of life in a sense. So again, I've looked into things like Buddhism is how, again, just trying to be that type of person, uh, in your life and again like oh there's all the memes out in the internet of oh you know just be more buddha and things like just, just like chill out man uh that, that's uh, obviously more of a buddhism thing but is there anything you kind of like that you almost in christianity of a way of life the way that uh, you treat others or anything really okay um i'm gonna give you my typical Jesus Bible answer and then give you my like unpopular opinion. I'd say conventionally, yeah, the, absolutely it's a way of life. I actually am like more frustrated with people who don't treat it as a way of life. They're like, well, I'm a Christian. I said that prayer that one time, check the box, I'm good. And then it has no impact on their life. To me, that is just wild because there's so much healing. There's so much community. There's so many things that like Christianity has to offer in this very real life of ours. And so to just check a box and walk away and just live life as if you looked like everyone else feels wild to me. And so I think in broad strokes, I would say it's a life of humility. It's a life of selflessness and it's a, it's a life of love. You know, like it's a life of caring for those, like loving your neighbor as yourself and, you know, caring for orphans and widows and all of those maybe cliche, but very, very powerful, tangible ways of living. And I mean, there's even Bible verses that talk about like praying continually. And that's sometimes people are like, what do you mean? Like, how do you like literally always like how I have to sleep? Like, what do you mean? Break it. But I think it's an indication of a lifestyle where you just are in constant conversation with God, like you would be with like your best friend or maybe it's your mom or, you know, like you just at, you talk to God about what you're going through. You reach out to him when you're struggling. You thank him when you're happy. You, you know, have that constant back and forth. And so I 100% think that that's a lifestyle. My personal controversial opinion on is faith a lifestyle? And I haven't always been like the best example of what I believe because saying is easy, doing is hard. But when I was in college, I had this really phenomenal professor who talked, we called him like Father Renus, even though he was not like a monk or anything. We just, we honestly just joked that he was like this monk because he lived this really simple lifestyle. He lived in like a tiny bungalow with his wife and his two kids. They fostered a bunch of other kids and they lived really simply. And he taught us about Jesus and the way that he lived really simply. Like I believe thoroughly, if you look in the Bible, like Jesus represents like a life of nonviolence. You know, so people who run around being like Christians who are really big into like supporting like war and like what, you know, there's a lot of things that I personally don't really support because I believe that the way that Jesus demonstrated his life was really giving of himself. He never really like hoarded material possession. He was, and I mean, we can't all live in a corporate capitalistic society and be Jesus. But when I even was 
going to Bible college, I felt so impressed upon my heart that I needed to move out of my parents' house and start like a community house with a bunch of roommates. And it didn't make any sense logically. Like my parents were loving people. They were like, you can live here for free while you're in school. It was like 20 minutes away from where my school was. Like, why would you ever like throw all the free money away just to move out of your parents' house? But it was so important to me to live in community with people in a tangible way instead of in isolation in my own room at my parents' big house up in the, you know? And so we did, we shared everything. We shared groceries. We sat down and had tea together like almost every night. We for a while had like prayer nights every week, like just actually tangibly having community, loving people, giving stuff away, inviting people into your home. I thought all of that was so important. And some of that in my like bitter, grumpy old age, (laughs) not even 30, is something that is things that I've like let stray. But I I believe that that is the life that Jesus exemplified for us and 100% believe that faith should lead to a lifestyle change. It's really interesting and kind of going back to your point of it's not very Christian of someone to say, but uh, how much faith is necessary to almost identify as someone of religion like this because uh, you can say oh yeah I, I prayed that one time when I was 13 and so uh, but, but do you still identify as that and again like it can be manipulative almost in a sense uh, one I, I'm gonna botch this quote but it was something kind of along the lines of like you don't just get smarter if you read you need to implement what you read so you need to take the stuff and you create your own lifestyle out of the things you kind of learned from it you don't just like yeah, I've, I, I attend church I'm a Christian it's like no not necessarily I mean again that's very uh, I'm, I don't know if controversial would be the word Word, but uh, a kind of yeah what rules are kind of in place to be able to call yourself that I feel like that'd be a whole other talk as well totally because there isn't really rules but it's I've had this conversation with so many friends of faith especially where it's like I would never in a million years like go up to someone and be like you're not a Christian right but the change internally creates change externally and so if you say that you've changed internally and your external completely goes against the things that you said are happening on the inside of you like there's a a Bible passage that I'm also just gonna roughly quote, which is basically that like, God is the vine and we are the branches. Like we need to be in him to produce good fruit. And I think that concept happens in reverse. Like if your fruit looks really bad, what vine are you plugged into? Are you still plugged into the vine of your faith? Or have you completely tapped into a contaminated well? And now like, I'm not gonna say you're not a Christian anymore, but like, what is faith doing in your life? How real and active is your faith if you've let it fall that far to the wayside? Hmm. Yeah, interesting stuff. One thing I remember even telling you back quite some time ago now that we've been trying to sort this out for quite some time, it was uh, something in a TED Talk, uh, I think it was titled The Power of Vulnerability by Brian Brown. Mm. I remember telling Brene you about Brown. this. I think, I think, yeah, like I said, you. I remember you've heard about it as well. Uh, this one quote from it when I was listening is, we just, we make everything that's uncertain, certain. Religion has gone from, end quote, I believe in faith and mystery, end quote, to certainty. Like, I'm right, you're wrong, shut up, that's it. Just certain. Another example she kind of gave is, our job isn't to call that baby perfect, and I have to keep it perfect. Your job is to say you're imperfect, and you're wired for struggle, but you're worthy of love and belonging sort of a thing. And it just, again, was a very powerful moment in that podcast of, again, me not being too religious, just, again, people are so serious these days, and it's something I kind of do with me being a foot nerd, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, is uh, we believe in the aspect of play. You need to keep moving and be healthy sort of a thing, and things don't always have to be set in stone and so boring. 
yeah, Brene Brown, yeah, she's pretty popular in like faith circles and her like talks and books and whatever on vulnerability are so powerful. And I think like vulnerability also feeds into like community. You can't really have genuine community when you're not vulnerable with people. That's why even in this podcast, I'm so big on using provisional language for things because yeah, Christianity definitely is big on like, you have to like speak truth in love. That's another Bible quote, which is there is, we do believe that there is truth and people who are like, well, truth is subjective, truth is like, Ugh, that, that's, a, that's a whole other podcast. But so I believe that there is truth in the world, but I also understand that like, I'm not God. So I can say like, this is true and this is, but in conversation with other people and acknowledging where people are with things like certainty is really hard to come by these days. And I think that being too certain about too many things really does take away from the mystery and the beauty of faith and who are we to say one with 100% certainty anything that isn't, you know, directly like the thing that God said. Like if I'm quoting straight from, from the Bible that, okay, you know what, I'm going to call that certain. But even then, like usually those things point to mystery. And so I 100% agree with that from Brene, which is that, yeah, too much certainty can really hurt faith. The definition of faith is faith is being um, sure of what you hope for and certain of things unseen. Of my journey of trying to become a little bit more spiritual and things, what I've kind of come to the conclusion of is science just can't explain some things. Science has come a long way and you can hook up electrodes to people's heads and things and know this. And But like uh, meditation, at, for, for example, has come a long way. It was just kind of like a, something like that hippie people do. You go in the forest and you meditate and things and it's gotten this horrible um, like perspective on it of people thinking of it's something that's not. Yet they and they are kind of understanding the importance of it more so in the science realm of things. But to some degree, uh, when I was researching it, some people are saying it is going to be one of those things like how we as humans, we used to smoke and think it was good for us. Like there was just a horrible time in, in, in our past that this happened. And along the same lines, as like now some people say sitting's a new smoking. But um, one day when I was researching things, someone has said, they think that it's going to be like the opposite like of, of meditation is one day they're going to be like, wait, you don't meditate? Like it's just going to be that important to our mental health mm. of how the, the, the way things are going, that it, it's just going to be a more way more common thing. But at the same time, just like you can't explain this feeling in science. You can't explain the way, oh, when I was doing this breathing method, I'm also into the Wim Hof method, which I haven't um, really mentioned before and just uh, all things like breathing nerd as well. And when you dive into those things, just th that, that feeling that scientists didn't believe at first is that you, you can like help control your own autonomic nervous system and like help prevent these things. It's like, that's unheard of. What do you mean? Well, science has caught up to prove these things, but it is just, yeah, there's some things where you didn't have that, this scientist that uh, this shouldn't be possible. Well, you didn't have that connection that I had on my husband's deathbed, on my wife's deathbed, deathbed that like, yeah, like God talked to me at this point and who's to say they did or didn't, but you didn't have that per that personal emotional experience like I did felt. Yeah, definitely. So one thing that I kind of do in my uh, way more mediocre podcast than yours on my YouTube channel. <laughs> don't you channel, dare, don't you dare. I love your YouTube channel. Uh, one thing I kind of like asking my guests and my friends is kind of like a, a quote or um, story that has just resonated with people. And uh, I feel like it would just be perfect to go with a, maybe a Bible verse or like an inspirational quote that you've heard in your time in kind of religion that has uh, had a meaningful impact in your life, if there's any on the top of your head. A lot of, I throw a lot of people off on my podcast with this. Yeah, I've got two. And one, if I'm honest, like one is so typical that I'm like, no, I want to have a better answer. That one's so boring. And then the second one like is a lot more explaining that's necessary. <laughs> 
But honestly, I think in my heart, it's I'm just going to go be typical because it's typical if you're in a Christian circle. If you're not in a Christian circle, then this this isn't typical. You've never heard it before. So and I have it mostly memorized, but I'm going to pull it up really quick because it's very long. I don't know if I'll quote the whole thing for you, um, but it's this verse in Psalm 139. So I told you about the book of Proverbs earlier. Psalms and Proverbs are like side by side. And Psalms is like a book of poems, basically poems and like songs and prayers, mostly of this guy, David, like who was a king back in the day. So this one specifically is um, a song from David. And it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before, and you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created, and this is the part that's like the most commonly quoted, which is, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And it goes on. It's a bit longer than that. But ever since I heard that verse in like early elementary school, it stuck out to me so much because I think that nothing else captures so well the love of God, which I've said multiple times in this episode already, is like the crux of what makes Christianity Christianity. It's the crux of what makes our faith impactful. And it leans into becoming a way of life is to just understand how loved we are and how special we are. Because I think when people feel like safe and secure and known, they can be themselves the best versions of themselves instead of constantly striving to be something they're not or feeling like to put on a face or be someone else. And I mean, it's also cliche, but the world is so full of other people. Like you don't need to be those other people. Like you are you for a reason and the world will be the best world if everyone is the best version of themselves. And so just understanding so deeply, like how even when it was, you were a baby before you were even born, you know, God was weaving together you in your mother's womb and writing and it says like all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be who I am who I'm going to be all the big things in my life like I don't have to stress about those things God's got that figured out and when I'm not sure when I'm lost I'm like hey God where am I supposed to be he's like I need you to move and go here or like you're right where I need you to be just stay and that is really life-giving and that is really refreshing really relieving that I don't have to claw and attack and dig my way to the top of a corporate ladder to like make this purpose for my life like he's like I got it here it is you're good just like let me love you and and listen to where I'm calling you to be I'll walk you through the book and it'll be fine you attract what you are or think and yet you need to be true to yourself and let the right person find you, the right um, people find you, as opposed to trying to pretend to be something you're not just to fit in. And I guess from one takeaway I had while listening is, no matter how bad things can get, is you're never alone. And that's uh, something a lot of people need to know and remember today. Thanks for listening to Uncanonical. If you have any questions or want to get a hold of us, you can email uncanonicalpodcast at gmail.com. 
find us on Instagram at Uncanonical Podcast. And to find all our new episodes, head to kinshipconference.com slash podcast.